Well, good, good morning. Praise God for that, huh? Yes. Jesus took our place. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us, and we bless you and we bless your dear son. We're eternally grateful for that wonderful message. Thank you that we're forgiven today, those here who have put their trust in you. We pray, Lord, that as we live each day until that day that you come for us or we go to you, that we will, by grace that you give, Lord, that we will live lives that are worthy of our calling. Lord, we ask you now to bless the word to us as we just look at what you have for us today. Pray that we will take something, Lord, that your spirit will illuminate your word and that there will be something that we hear from you today that we will leave here motivated, encouraged, challenged uh, to be more like the dear Lord Jesus. We ask this in his precious name. Amen. Turn your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 13. Been uh, studying that in my devotions lately, and I believe the Lord gave a short word to give to you today, and I emphasize short because I know when I've been here before, I've had a tendency to go over. Reminds me of a message I heard yesterday where a man who has a tendency to go over as well was giving a message, and a man got up in the middle of the message and started to walk out. And the speaker said, where are you going? And he said, I'm going to get a haircut. He said, well, why didn't you get one before you came? And he said, I didn't think I needed one by then. (laughs) Well, if you're familiar with the book of Romans, you know this is one of the probably the favorites of many of God's people. Obviously, we don't have time to, to go into any length of the, of the book, but to suffice to say, really, the first 11 chapters, Paul is, is masterfully telling the argument and conveying the story of how man is justified by grace. That God, through, the son, through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, has justified man through his blood. That man are sinners, and that, and, and really the first 11 chapters, it's, he's just expressing how we come to Christ through faith, and that it's not of works. And from about chapter 12 to the, chapter 16, he begins to speak of some more of the practical issues, if you like, of how we ought to now be, behave in light of becoming believers. What should our practice be like in light of our position of how we are in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we know him? And so I'm just going to pick up a little section here that I was inspired to speak on based on the, with the title, Our Response to the Passion. And I'm sure you've given this many thought. I know many of you have, as a church, went and saw the movie. And I think, I understand you're going back again. And I'm sure you've had opportunities to think of this, but my, one of my thoughts was, Our Response to the Passion, what should it be? And based on Romans chapter 13, verses 11 to 14, It should be wake up, get dressed, and get going. I want to explain what that means. Wake up, get dressed, and get going. Let's read it together, starting in verse 11. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. 
So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. May God bless to us his precious word. One of the routines I'm sure that happens in all of our homes, depending on the time of day, is that wonderful device called the alarm clock. At some point it goes off. I'm a particularly light sleeper, and I'm in this unfortunate situation of being a light sleeper that I hear the alarm clock going off in the other bedrooms faster than the people who are in the bedrooms hear it. Matter of fact, one of my daughters, Andrea, literally that alarm clock I hear going 30 minutes and she still hasn't even turned it off, let alone moved, I think. And I'll go in there and I'll say, Andrea, your alarm clock's going off. Andrea, Andrea. And, you know, there's this little stir, you know, and I know that at least she's still breathing. And then finally the clock goes off. Some people love that device and I frankly don't know how to work it. And I have, that shows you how, how bad I am when it comes to, to some of these gadgets. But I don't even know really how to work the snooze button. But I know a number of people do love the snooze button. As soon as the alarm clock goes off, snooze, you get a few more minutes of a little bit of that precious sleep that you maybe you need, maybe you don't need. I'm not too sure what the case may be. We can understand that, the whole realm of that in the physical But in the spiritual, this is obviously what Paul is is talking about. He's talking about the spiritual. And he says, spiritually speaking, when you look at verse 11, the phrases here indicate, as you read them again, understand the present time, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. All of these phrases express urgency. You understand when you read the words of Paul here, and as we understand our Bible, that time here on earth is limited. The opportunities that we have while we're here on this earth as believers, as far as being on earth are concerned, they're brief. Today's my wife's uh, and myself's 23rd anniversary. And I was thinking, where, where really did those, have those 23 years gone? My birthday was last week, 24, I'm sorry, 44 years old. (laughs) And I wonder really, as I think of it, where has the time really gone? The opportunities are brief. One of the amazing things that the Lord seems to have really, if you like, um, and I say this respectfully, has laid into our lap with this movie that's presented is, is that we are having opportunities to respond to questions That unbelievers are asking. At my job the other day, I had three people. I've never had three people in one day since I've been there. Three people in one day say, did you see the passion? What did you think about the passion? This is coming from people who aren't Christians. Usually, although not always, usually we're the ones that have to, by the Spirit of God, just pray for some opportunity to make that transition into spiritual things, don't we? Right now, I'm sure many of you have had the opportunity where you're on the receiving end of responding. 
There was an article in the local paper in, in our area, in Castor Valley, that says, movie has renewed passion for religion. Just very briefly, just two paragraphs. A movie depicting the last hour of Christ's life on earth has sparked a church revival of sorts, where leaders say that since its opening, Christians have been able to use the film as a way to talk about their faith. And that's certainly true. That's certainly one of the good things that's come out of that movie, there's no doubt. It seems Mel Gibson's The Passion of Christ has made it hip to talk about Jesus around the water cooler or just about anywhere else. I think the main effect, and this is quoting from a local pastor here in the Dublin area, the main effect of the movie is having is, having, is to start conversations. It provides a great opportunity to talk about what the cross means, what Jesus did, what happened there, and how it applies to us today. Opportunities. I trust, and you know how we are as Americans in our Western culture. People are on this now. But you know how it is. About two weeks, three weeks, possibly after Easter, something else will be on somebody's mind. Some other big blockbuster will be out there, and that's what everybody will be talking about. Now is the opportunity for us to seize this and to be really aware that this opportunity, this window, is short. The time for us to obey the Great Commission has always been and continues to be and is the case today, now. To go out now Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. What time is it, you say? What time is it as far as God's clock goes? One thing's for sure. There is no time. And this is one of the things that I was reminded of as I was watching the movie and it drew me back, it drew me back to the gospel accounts and back to Isaiah and to meditate and reflect on the, on the text of the scriptures, which is totally the truth. 100% the truth is to realize that this is no time for apathy, indifference, and complacency. No time. And as I reflect on what I read again in the gospel accounts of the cross, and as Sylvia reminded us today in her song that she sang, it ought to, as we think about our Lord Jesus Christ the Father giving him to us, it ought to just cause us and our hearts to be overflowing with great gratitude, appreciation, thankfulness. And to remember the verse in 1 John that we love him because he first loved us. Now we're really responding to his great act of love that he showed in his actions when he went to Calvary. I don't know how your heart's beating today. I, I know it's physically beating or you wouldn't be alive and I wouldn't be looking at you. And you, your eyes are open, so I know you're alive physically today. And I know that heart's beating. But is there a, is there a rapid heartbeat for God? Just a, a heart that's alive, that's, that's on fire for him, for the things of God, for himself, just for who he is. You know, you know what grabs your heart. You know the things that are on your mind. And is he first and foremost? Amen. That passion. That's what I was certainly challenged with over the last couple of weeks. 
You know, when you define sleep, sleep is defined as a state of inactivity with a loss of consciousness and a decrease in responsiveness to events taking place. That pretty much sums it up. A state of inactivity with the loss of consciousness and a decrease in responsiveness to events taking place. You know, there's a true story about a, a police officer named Gary Dockery. He was like a 20th century Rip Van Winkle. He slept in a coma for seven and a half years. Like I said, he was a police officer who had been shot in the head while on duty. And unconscious and unable to communicate, this man was, for all matter of speaking, dead to the world. Then a medical miracle occurred in this man's life. He awoke. Imagine, seven and a half years. He immediately recognized his family and he told his two sons that he loved them. And for 18 hours, this man talked. He recalled the past and he was learning all the things that had happened. Just probably just a tip in the iceberg over seven and a half years. After emergency surgery to drain fluid from his lungs, however, Dockery never regained the same level of consciousness, and he died a year later. And what it reminds me of that story is many people who are physically alive are existing, though, in a spiritual coma. Not a physical coma, a spiritual one. And Paul tells them here, and it's also found in Ephesians 5.14, where he says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That's what Paul's plea is for us, if we're in that situation today. He says, wake up from that spiritual state of unconsciousness, unresponsiveness, and inactivity toward God and the things that are on his heart. Wake up. Thank God that we have a God who cares so much about us that he sends us that message that I know I have needed a number of times in my life since I've been a believer. Someone needs to say the Spirit of God through a person, through the Word itself says, Wake up, Randy. Stop going through the motions. Stop just behaving like some kind of a robot. Get your mind off the things over here. Get your mind back on me. I'm glad we have a God who pursues us like that and is interested in our state spiritually. Like I said, Paul was speaking to, general, uh, to genuine believers when he says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead. Because the time is short. Someone has said, We do not know how much t- sand remains in the top of the Lord's hourglass of human history as we know it. But there is abundant evidence that not much time is left. Every day we live, we come one day closer to the coming of Christ. One day closer. Either His coming for us or our going to be with Him. Wake up. That's one of the first things we do when we start our day. we got to wake up. Spiritually, brothers and sisters, are you in a situation today where God is saying to you, wake up, in that gentle voice of how he does. And then secondly, something else we need to do, and Paul says this in the second part of verse 12 and verse 13, we need to throw off. That's another thing that I was reminded of as I was reading this portion in my devotionals recently. 
He says in the second part of verse 12, So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Lay it aside. What's he mean when he says that? He means forsake or repent from the deeds of darkness. What does he mean by that? Generally speaking, all sin. Lay it aside. With the help of the Spirit of God, disrobe yourself from it. Take off those clothes, those deeds of the darkness. When you think back, and I, you know, we're visual people, but it's always been in the scripture. Isaiah's accounts, Peter's accounts, the gospel accounts of what the Lord Jesus went through. When you saw that, if you've seen the movie, isn't that a motivation for holiness? To know, and we all know, what some of those besetting sins are in our lives that we are like our thorn. Or some of those sins that, you know, we, we were just, we're just going to do it anyway. But isn't it an incentive for holiness when you realize the suffering that the Lord Jesus Christ went through, all that suffering, that bloodshed, was for those very sins that you and I commit. And I'll tell you, on a couple of occasions, over since I've seen that, I can remember, I'm saying, no, Lord, you suffered for that. You died for that. You went through that pain for that very thing. No, Lord, by your grace, help me. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to. I'm not going to do that kind of an outrageous thing, in light of the very fact that that's something that you went to Calvary for. Amen. May God help us to remember the cross when we're thinking or and wanting to maybe mess around with the deeds of the darkness. Hebrews 12.1, and on that context, someone has said, if your Christian life is a drag, worldly weights may be keeping you down. You know, this is the verse of Scripture that says that we ought to lay aside, we ought to run the race and lay aside all those encumbrances, all those, those weights that drag us down as we're running this race, this marathon in the Christian life. Maybe we need to identify today, if we know him, what are those worldly weights that are just kind of dragging us down? How do you, how do you run the race if you've got those worldly weights on? You can't. I tried running this morning after I had my devotion before I came here, and I felt like I had a bunch of weights on. I couldn't run at all today. I don't know what was wrong. But it wasn't weights. That was just in a physical context. But I know there are times spiritually something's dragging me down, and we have to stop and just stop and say, wait a second, what is it? What's my mind on? What am I thinking about? What have I allowed into my mind, into my heart that isn't of God? That's actually just slowing me down and getting me off course. And then address it. You know, this morning I had a dream overnight. I don't really remember my dreams. I don't place a ton of significance, frankly, on them because I hardly ever remember them. So I can't place much significance. And most of the time my dreams don't make much sense. So, And I don't remember them. But I do remember just this weird dream overnight where I was meeting with a, a man who uh, used to be an elder in our church many years ago. And he was trying to get with me to read the Word of God. 
and to spend time in the Word. And for some reason, we were walking around the block of where I used to live as we were having this conversation of him wanting to get me into the Word. And it, in, the, in the dream, all I can remember was all of a sudden there were these, all these people that I knew that were coming in and interrupting this conversation that he was trying to have with me. Finally, we got to our house and we were sitting by and there was a fire going. I remember that. And Cindy, my wife, comes in and maybe I was thinking anniversary or whatever and I'm not trying to blame her, but she came into the conversation and said, Randy, do you want me to go to the store and get low-fat or fat-free milk? And that was part of the dream. I'm trying to have this conversation and he's trying to get my attention about reading the Word and she she came in and, you know, she's very polite, but she interrupted the conversation. I remember in the dream and she says, do you want 1% or or fat-free? And then I, you know, woke up and, I don't know, maybe there's a lot more to it than that. But it reminded me, you know what, there's all those distractions. And sometimes they seem incredibly stupid and silly. But nonetheless, they sometimes get us off. Praise God, our Savior was, had set his face like flint. He was resolute to the cross. And he never, never went to the left or to the right of that mission that he was going to do. And he knew he was born to die to do. Colossians 3, 8, 9, Paul says, But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have now put on the new self who is being renewed. That's exactly what we're talking about. The deeds of darkness. You know, when Paul uses this reference as a soldier, he says, And put on the armor of light. Paul uses the picture of a soldier who had dressed himself in party clothes and he spent the night partying. And as the day dawned and came near, the sun rose, the commander orders him to wake up, take off his night clothes and put on the armor he needs to fight for the day's battle. Armor, as we, I trust, know, is made for warfare and its purpose is to protect the one who wears it. This is described in detail in chapter 6 of Ephesians, the armor that God has provided. Gracefully, graciously, God has provided the armor for us. Read it later. Read it and see. Am am I by faith applying the armor that he's provided? Therefore, we can behave properly as in the day. That's what he wants for us. He wants us to learn how to be a man and a woman that does not continue in what we were saved from, but has become a man and woman who has a conviction to want to be a God pleaser. You know, it's tiring, isn't it? I have found it tiring to want to, at times, go through this rat race of being a man pleaser. It's very tiring. You know why? Because you can't please man. You try and please one man here, and that gets one man over here upset. You try and please one woman here, and that gets another woman upset. It changes day to day if you make it your effort and ambition to be a man pleaser. But I want to tell you, be a God pleaser. Be someone, and this is, I'm speaking to myself as well, be someone who makes it your goal and determination in life that above all else, my goal and the power of the Holy Spirit is being someone who pleases God. And that your boast 
And what you're going to boast about and what you're going to talk about is the Lord himself and all that he does for you, has done for you, and continues to do for you. Make that your ambition, Paul tells us. This expression of the word carousing, it's often used as a military or athletic term speaking about a victory celebration. And it came to be used for wild partying and sexual orgies, as it's in this translation, and brawls. Drunkenness and sexual promiscuity literally means going to bed. And Paul says on this, put it aside, it shouldn't even be mentioned among saints in another text of scripture. He says, don't behave like this if you're a believer. Someone has said a bad example undermines good words. It's also been said, and I've heard this expression, what you are doing speaks so loudly that I can't hear what you're saying. Throw it off. And then lastly, he says in verse 14, throw off those clothes, but put on the clothes. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I love this expression, verse 14, rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. It's been said there is something that is already true about our spiritual life and something that should be true. There is a holiness that we already have and a holiness that we should continually pursue. We have been made righteous, yet we strive to live righteously. Every believer, it says in the Word of God, and it says it right here, has been clothed with Christ and his righteousness. This is a marvelous thing. Positionally, when the Father looks At you, a brother and sister, he sees the Lord Jesus Christ. He sees that work that he has done in your life, that blood that you say he died for you for. He sees Jesus. There's a song we used to sing in Ireland that says, I am covered over with the robe of righteousness that Jesus gives to me. I am covered over with the precious blood of Jesus, and he lives in me. Oh, what joy it is to know my heavenly Father loves me so and gives to me my Jesus. When he looks at me, he sees not what I used to be, but he sees Jesus. Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with the robe of righteousness. This is marvelous. An act of grace by God that that's how we're viewed by the Father. Our position in Christ, that's our position, accomplished once and for all, justified. But our sanctification is a continuing process, isn't it? And it's been said that our practice is a lifelong process of growth and becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ. When you and I clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, his righteousness, his truth, his love, his holiness, those are the things that become evident in how we live. And people see that. And they see something of the Lord Jesus Christ by the way you and I live. And he says, therefore, put aside all that other stuff, all that other rubbish, all that other stuff that's not becoming of the Lord, and put on 
Jesus Christ. And then Paul also goes on to say, do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Another translation, make no provision. Make no provision for the flesh. Don't think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. What's that mean? Don't give it forethought. Don't plan ahead how you're going to gratify the sinful nature. When you and I make it easy to sin, we're making provision for the flesh. Someone has said, give sin an inch and it will take a mile. You give it an inch and it takes a mile and we get caught. You and I ought to live today rather than making any provision for the flesh, we ought to live today that tonight, two hours from now, we could be standing before God. Tomorrow, he may come. We don't, generally speaking, like to get caught unaware, do we? A lot of us probably are these kind of people that like to plan everything. You don't want to have somebody say, what are you having for dinner tonight without a full answer? You want to know the main course and everything else. You want it down. You don't want to all of a sudden, in the case of if the Lord Jesus were coming back tonight or tomorrow, be in a situation where you're saying, oh, I wish I'd done this, I wish I'd done that, I wasn't ready, I wasn't ready. We don't want that. We want to live as though we could return today. That's the goal. In closing, one of the things that we need to remember, and it's certainly conveyed clearly in this passage, is as Christians, we bear the name of Christ. I'm proud, and I say this, and I don't use the word proud very often, but I will say this, I am proud that I am a believer. I am proud to be able to identify myself with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, some of my best times, I think, in my Christian life to date, as I think back on it, were when I was standing at the corner of O'Connell Street and Talbot Street in Dublin, Ireland. As you can tell, I'm thinking of Dublin, Ireland this week with this outfit. But was I was standing with a little microphone, a little amplifier about this size, with crowds of people that are just preaching the gospel. That's totally not in my nature to do that. But the Spirit of God gave that boldness with a group of a couple of other believers to have 40, 50 people standing around and for about five, seven minutes just preaching the gospel with a sketchboard message. And being able to sometimes have a few drunks spitting, throwing things, yelling things, abusing things. I mean, that was when it was great. When you had that kind of a tension in the sense that people would come. And just to be able to talk about the Lord and identify myself as a believer. And I trust that you're not ashamed of identifying yourself as a believer as well with the Lord Jesus Christ and saying that, you know what, I am so grateful that I know him. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve this. There's nothing about me that deserves what he has done for me by dying on Calvary's cross and rising again from the dead, but I'm so grateful that he did. And I'm so honored and humbled, and I don't really understand this amazing love and this grace of God, but I am so much going to put my boast in the Lord. And you know, whoever has an ear to hear I'm going to share about what Jesus Christ means to me and what he can do for you as well. And we, I know that while I haven't maybe done the exact same thing that Peter did in the exact same way when he denied him, I know there's been many other ways in my life that I've denied him. And by the grace of God that he'll give us forgiveness 
and strength and courage to keep on going and not be in that situation where we're ever ashamed of our Lord Jesus Christ. And remember as well, as I wrap up, that all that we say and do should be associated with the name of the Lord Jesus. Our words and our works should glorify his name. There should be no dichotomy there as difference. It should be exactly the same how our words and works are, that all of it, whatever we do, glorifies the Lord. Bearing the name of Jesus is a great, great privilege. But it's also, isn't it, a tremendous responsibility. Every parent tries to teach their child, I think, to honor the family name. Isn't it amazing that in just a few minutes a person can disgrace a name that has taken ancestors maybe years to build? For example, in closing, the Hebrew name Judah is a respected name. It means praise. The New Testament equivalent is Judas. And do you know anyone that names their son Judas today? May we be those people who are overflowing with gratitude, are very alert to the times the day is near. May we be those people that are not going to mess around and fool around with sin. And we're going to put on the Lord Jesus Christ so that when people look at us, they see something of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are humbled to even be able to address you. We're humbled when we think that you are present here among us today. You said in your word that you're gathered among your people. Lord, your love for us is, is just too marvelous. We're, we really don't know what words to even express, how much we love you, how much we adore you, how much we worship you and praise you. We thank you for your person. We thank you for your life. We thank you for your sinless life on this earth. We thank you for being our sacrifice. We thank you for dying, going through all the suffering. Thank you that you're a risen God today. We bless you that one day we're going to see you face to face. We pray in the meantime, Lord, that as sheep, we know we're prone to wander. We're prone to sometimes leave the God we love. We pray that you'll keep us close to your fold. We pray that we will be those who will be alert to the things of God. That you'll waken us if we're in any slumber here today. Lord, that we'll be those who don't want to mess around with sin. But we want to live a righteous life for you. We want to live a life that pleases you. We want to be God-pleasers today, Lord. I pray that you'll help us. I pray that you'll identify an area in our life that we need to really address and bring before you. That will bring more pleasure to you if we were to forsake an area. Maybe there's something, Lord, you want us to do that we've been hesitant to do. I just pray that, Lord, you, by your grace, help us. Thank you that we don't live this Christian life in our own strength. Thank you so much for the Holy Spirit that you've given to us. And I just pray you'll bless us, bless these people, Lord, for the rest of this day and this coming week. Again, Lord, we know there are wonderful opportunities right now. Pray that we'll have ears to hear them. Courage to identify as one of yours. And we'll gladly share the gospel. We pray for the salvation of souls of those that we know and are around us. And we just ask your blessing again, Lord, on this day. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Amen.